Would you kill for a cookie? French fries? Do you eat when you're hungry, mad, or stressed? Hi, I'm registered dietitian, nutritionist, Dr. Susan Mitchell. Let's go beyond bariatric surgery and talk about everything you need to move on. Emotional eating can affect you, bariatric surgery or not. Today, resident psychologist on Australia's The Biggest Loser Transformed, Glenn McIntosh, joins me to talk about that missing piece in emotional eating, the psychology angle. Glenn is a member of the Australian Psychological Society and consults with bariatric patients pre- and post-surgery. You can find out more about Glenn on our website, beyondbariatricsurgery.com. Just click on the podcast or on our Facebook page, Facebook slash Beyond Bariatric Surgery. Hi, Glenn. Welcome. Hey, Dr. Susan. Thank you for having me. Well, we're so glad you could join us across the world today. It's fabulous, isn't it? The Skype. It's so cool. <laughs> I so, know. So cool. You know, Glenn, emotional eating is often overlooked, but it can affect everyone, bariatric surgery or not. When my co-author and I were doing research for our book, I'd Kill for a Cookie, we surveyed a thousand people and it was so interesting, two out of three reported stress or emotional eating and I think of them as one is this, one and the same really. What yeah. is emotional eating? Yeah, really great question because I think sometimes there are so many reasons why we eat when we're not hungry and the way that we would define emotional eating is really very specifically it's an increase in your food intake in response to those unpleasant emotions so the sadness or the loneliness or the boredom or the frustration or the stress it's all of that unpleasant stuff so that's different to just eating because the food's there we kind of call that external eating or just eating because uh, you enjoy the food that appetite type pleasure eating right it's really kind of when you're eating too much in response to the, the yucky stuff that you're feeling and sometimes I think it's not just one of the things you can be mad sad depressed all on the, the same time and it affects what you eat totally totally for most of us our, our unpleasant emotions and I like to think of them as unpleasant emotions mm -hmm. rather than the negative emotions because you don't want to judge yourself for having these normal human feelings but mm -hmm. they they kind of just hang out in bunches sometimes so it's kind of like a quasi stressed bored tired lonely emotional eating it's really just the the one and that's why it can be a bit tricky to kind of pinpoint yeah how does emotional eating develop oh yeah yeah I I get asked this by a lot of people and, and I suppose I, I kind of think of it developing in three stages. You know, firstly, it is, it's hardwired into us. Emotional eating is innate. So if we, you know, I think I like to think sometimes of the, the journey that a newborn baby has been on and what the baby is experiencing. And you think, okay, so then they, they sort out the, the first thing they need to do and they sort out their air. And then shortly after, you're looking for food. And, and you see in that moment, if we put a, a baby on its mum's stomach, it just naturally knows how to find the food. And in that moment, you're kind of collapsing the, the physical nurturance that the body needs with the emotional nurturance. And, and, and it is really hardwired into the pleasure center of our brain. So that's the first thing. And I think that's quite good for people to know because it helps you have a bit of compassion for yourself. I, I feel like a lot of people judge themselves for being emotional eaters. Oh, I think so. Kind of, sure. Yeah. But it's pretty normal. 
Yeah, I, I think it is, especially when you're hearing people say two out of three that they do it. And and this is not, like I was saying, not necessarily post-bariatric surgery. It's just the general population. So for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, I think two out of three, that's, those numbers would be similar to, to some of the research that we find in, in Australia, about 70%. So it's, if, you, if you're an emotional eater, uh, for better or worse, you're normal. Yeah. And why then is it so important to work on? Ah, yeah, and, and it is like you said, Dr. Susan, you know, it's really important for people who are not undergoing surgery, but for people that are undergoing surgery, it's actually the only reliable psychological predictor that we have pre-surgery that says someone will struggle post-surgery. So if you're an emotional eater before surgery, that predicts that you're probably going to get less weight loss, you're going to have more complications with your eating, and you're more likely to regain the weight afterwards. So it is really one of those massive red flags. And I don't mean to be to be negative about that. I want us to take that information as really empowering because it, it, it can, like you said, it can be a bit of a missing piece of the puzzle. And if we can identify that piece of the puzzle and work through it, and we absolutely can work through it, then you're going to get better results in terms of the weight loss, but just better terms, uh, better results in terms of your overall holistic health. Because I think of it, you know, we're all so focused on weight loss and it can really throw a spanner in the works of your weight loss effort, whether you're doing surgery or not. But I think about it also just from a a psychologist perspective is that emotional eating is really, um, it's really hard on people. It's most people who who do a lot of emotional eating. It's a very negative experience. So you take away the fact that it's not very healthy and it it, it interferes with your weight management. It's actually just psychologically, it feels terrible to do it. Most people feel worse after they do it. Mm-hmm. That's why I think of it like double dipping on a bad mood. Uh, and it's also it, it's really linked with uh, a whole host of psychological issues like depression and self esteem issues and and even relationships difficulties. So I think that I take that information in a a really positive way to say, as you work on your emotional eating, you're probably going to find that your psychological well-being gets better. Or the other way around, if you work on just your general psychological well-being, you probably do a bit less emotional eating. I think that's so true. And I think there's a lot of guilt that goes with emotional eating. It's, It's the same, or I see that here in the States where people, they'll say, oh, if they're on a diet, you know, the so called diet, which which I hate, because I always think of diet being restrictive, instead of just learning to eat well. So when they are on a diet, and then they eat something they feel they shouldn't have, because they're on this diet on said diet, and then they feel guilty about it and, you know, feel bad about themselves. And I think emotional eating that there's a lot of guilt that goes with that and it just kind of if you're already on a diet and then you have a bad day and then you you're eating emotionally it just seems to set you up for more bad self-image absolutely absolutely for most of us if we and i think it's it's interesting that you mentioned you know your fellow countrymen if we we uh, measure people's attitudes in the states to if we say a food like cake what is the, the first thing that comes to most people's mind is guilt and shame and, and weight gain. So we do have this very uh, judgmental way of looking at our food. So if we're judging ourselves for food that we deem as quote unquote 
bad, then we're going to have all these unpleasant emotions. And so I think it's really important for people to recognize. I talk about food as being morally neutral. So it's not good. It's not bad. It's not right. It's not wrong. It's not should or shouldn't. I don't even really love healthy and unhealthy. Uh, I, I think of, the, of food as mor- sort of off that scale for moral judgment. Yeah. I think that as psychologists, we probably think that we judge ourselves too often and sometimes other people. <laughs> but I think if you've got to, if you've got to pick some criteria for how you, you judge your character or your worth as a person, I'm sure you can pick better criteria than what right. you put in your mouth. I mean, food should just be food. It shouldn't be a measure of who you are or who you are not. It's all about nourishing the body, not about who you are and the guilt that goes with that. Couldn't agree more. And, you know, you would know with your, you know, your, your background in the nutrition and dietetics that the effect that food has on your body. And I think that if we can start to just understand those effects that food has on your body without the moral judgment and understand that, you know, when we eat certain foods, it makes us feel light and fresh and great. When we eat other foods, it might make us feel sluggish or, or tired or bloated. And we develop that intuition without the judgment so there's no morality associated with it, just that understanding of how our body, you know, responds to different mm. foods. Then we develop this, this lovely intuition and we actually get to that almost like that, that holy grail that a lot of dieters want is that they actually end up wanting to eat the more nutritious foods and not wanting to eat so much of the less nutritious foods. But it doesn't come from a, like you say, a, a judgment or a, a rule that, that can be very restrictive if you're dieting. It just comes from this internal place of just caring for the body and wanting the body to feel good, which we all want. Yeah, that's a really, really good way to look at it, I think. Well, we need to take a short break, but when we come back, Glenn will share his best tips to counter emotional eating. So don't you go anywhere. Explore the Australian way with portion perfection for bariatrics plates, bowls, visual guides, recipes, and more at beyondbariatricsurgery.com. Welcome back. Don't forget to subscribe to our Beyond Beatrix Surgery podcast on your favorite podcatcher, such as iTunes. Go to beyondbeatricsurgery.com and we'll show you how. It's easy. Joining me today is Glenn McIntosh, resident psychologist on Australia's The Biggest Loser Transformed. We're talking about emotional eating after bariatric surgery. Before the break, Glenn was talking about how emotional eating develops and ways that we can find uh, a way to see ourselves better and not to always judge food as good or bad. Glenn, why is it so important for someone who's had bariatric surgery to recognize emotional eating and how do you help them do that? Yes, great, great questions. I think it is, it's so important for, for people post-bariatric surgery to recognize their own emotional eating because it is such a predictor that the person's going to struggle in that medium to long term. As we know, a lot of people post-bariatric surgery in that first six to 12 months, they're going to lose a significant amount of weight. But unfortunately, we also know that there is a lot of variability, especially in that kind of two to, to five-year post-surgery period. And, and I think that, that it's so important to recognize because sometimes emotional eating when you're in that kind of weight loss phase or you're in the zone, it can kind of go away a little bit. 
mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that you've actually overcome it and you haven't really overcome it until you've developed new coping strategies, new ways to deal with those particular unpleasant emotions that you're experiencing. So like, so, end- what, so what you're saying is like after this post um, bariatric surgery high, if you will, is over then yeah. and real life kind of settles in a little bit more, some of the things you were doing before kind of might just creep back into the picture. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the reasons why post-surgery, and we see the same in, in people who do a weight loss kick without surgery, actually. It's, I think that's, that's one of the reasons why emotional eating can be so difficult to, to get on top of because we don't actually recognize it. You can when you're in that, it's a good way to say it, when you're in that high post-surgery, you, you can, because you're losing so much weight, you don't really recognize that it's an issue. It might kind of sort of, uh, you know, disappear for a bit, but but you haven't really overcome it until you have developed these new coping strategies. And I mean, the other thing is true as well. Sometimes people will be doing emotional eating post-surgery, but you're losing so much weight that it almost seems like, oh, well, it doesn't really matter. But of course, as we know in weight management, however you do it, the name of the game is the long-term. It's really important to identify and overcome for your long-term success. Oh, I think that is just spot on. Uh, and let's talk tips because I know... Uh, people are probably saying, okay, okay, but I, I do this. I know I'm an emotional eater. Boy, I'm a, I especially do it when I'm mad or I've had a bad day. So teach yep. me how. Teach me the strategies that are positive so I won't do it anymore. Let's talk your best tips. Okay, best tips. All right, uh, because I think that is, you know, as psychologists, we're trained to uh, help people ask powerful questions. And I believe that how question, the how do I change, is the most powerful question. At the end of the day, we need strategies and, and techniques and tips to, to get over this. The, the first thing that I would say is to actually recognize that the emotional eating is unhelpful. It doesn't do what you want it to do. And that's where we come back to that idea that emotional eating is double dipping on a bad mood. And I think for me, that's actually the first point for most people is recognizing, you know what, no matter how I'm feeling, no matter what's happened in my day, no matter what that person said to me, no matter how upset I am, 99 times out of 100, the answer is not in the fridge. So I think that's the the first point of call because we all want to feel better. And if you can really deeply understand in real time that the food is not going to do what you want it to do, it's going to leave you then open and searching for new ways to feel better. I call these new ways more marvelous methods to manage your moods. (laughs) And you know what, Glenn, I was thinking about what you were saying that – Food is the ultimate comfort. And if you think about it, food is everywhere. It's ubiquitous. No matter where you go, someone offers food of some type and it's legal. So it's legal. People don't look down upon you for having food. It's everywhere you go. And so you've got to figure out how to, if emotional eating is your comfort and becomes your best friend, how you're going to break free from that, just like you're saying. Absolutely. And I think that you you raised a really good point there, Dr. Susan, because food is everywhere and emotional eating, even though it doesn't work very well, it is kind of easy. 
And so that would be the, the second thing that I would say in overcoming emotional eating and developing new coping strategies that are right for you is to acknowledge that it's not going to be easy. In weight management, we're sold this myth that change is easy and we're sold it by the, the dieting industry time and time again. So it just becomes part of our subconscious that we believe that whatever we're trying to do should be easy. But as we were discussing before, emotional eating is partly hardwired into your brain and then we develop it as children, then we consolidate it as adults. So we're going to be working to kind of mold the brain and, and those neurons in the brain to, to innovate in a different way. And that's going to take a bit of time. So so I would, I would encourage people to really stick with it. Give yourself three months or give yourself six months to, to, to really say, you know what, I'm just going to focus on learning these new ways to, to manage my emotions. I think that's great. You. So once they say to themselves, okay, I'm an emotional eater, I know I'm yep. doing this and it isn't going to go away by Saturday. I'm going to have yep. to hang in there for, for several months. And they've yep. kind of in the face, that's reality. Mm-hmm. What's the next thing that they do that helps them actually stop it when they're saying, I've had a rotten day and I have mint chocolate chip ice cream in the freezer calling my name. Got you, got you. Okay, so, and I think that's, a, you, you kind of raised a really important point because we get into, as adults, we develop our own adult emotional eating routines and they become like a script. So we do them, we're so good at it. We do it without consciousness. So what we'll do is we'll provide a, a link on your website to a resource that I call the More Marvelous Methods to Manage Your Moods list. Okay. Now, this is the simplest thing in the world. I often, Dr. Susan, when I, I talk through this with people, I have a little laugh to myself because I've just spent just countless hours developing audio programs and online courses. And and this is the one of the simplest resources that I have. It took me about half an hour to write. And then five years later, I spent another half hour on it. And it's one of the, it's one of the most powerful things I do. And it's one of the most popular too, I bet. <laughs> it, it is it's because, you know, it's simple. And yeah. at the end of the day, sure, we, we love simple. Lives. Simple. It's got to be simple. Yeah, so, I agree. so what you do is on this list, it's really simple. It's just, a, and even if you don't want to use this list, you can just use a piece of paper. And I want you to just brainstorm all of these more marvelous methods to manage your moods. Get really creative. You might even get together with some friends and talk through all of the alternative things you can do. So when you do that, I think sometimes, like we were talking about before, when we're thinking about weight management, it can get so restrictive and get so kind of oppressive and there's a lot of guilt and shame associated with it. We don't want it. We want to sort of release some of that energy and just start to have a play, get the creative juices flowing and just brainstorm all of these more marvelous methods to manage moods. I do this in my, my professional workshops and the, some of the things we come up with and they're all of the typical things that, that you know, you would, you would think like talk to someone or um, go for a walk or practice a meditation or all these, these different things. But I want you to just get really creative and brainstorm, have a play with a whole bunch of those. Then what you do is you have to spend some time narrowing it down to the more marvelous methods that work for you as a unique individual. Right. What are you really going to do when the rubber hits the road? Absolutely. I think that it's great to brainstorm on a big sheet of paper or, you know, uh, some butcher's paper or, you know, just really get creative. And then when you get to actually filling out your more marvelous methods list, 
then it's it's often uh, you know a list of up to to ten tops, and it's just those things that you know, given your situation, are going to work for you. But I do like to have a big variety because sometimes, as you know, sometimes you might need like two hours to get out of the house and just clear your head. Other times you can't get out of the house because you've got you know kids hanging off your arms and legs, so you need something really really quick. Sometimes you need something that's really active to you know to burn a certain type of energy off and. Sometimes you might be so exhausted from the day that you need a really passive kind of marvelous method. So I think it's always good to have a variety. And then you will go, you'll follow your normal, I call it zombie eating, your emotional eating script, and it will take you to the fridge and you actually place it up on the fridge or pantry to jolt you into that awareness of these more marvelous methods. That's a great tip. I love that. And it's moving away from what I refer to as mindless eating. And I love the fact that you call it zombie eating, <laughs> one, yes. in the, one in the same thing. And to kind of wake you up and go, wait a minute, <laughs> stop this. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And the last part is, mm-hmm. and whether you do this on the More Marvelous Methods list or you just write your own, we do have to acknowledge that even if you've gotten to that point, you've recognized you're an emotional eater, you've caught yourself so you're no longer a zombie you're no longer mindless you're conscious and you're making a choice there is still that re you know that rewiring of the brain that takes effort and energy and willpower so the last thing that i want you to do is actually create like a little affirmation or a mantra it can be the right words or a picture or some combination of both that just reminds you hey you know what you can make a new decision. You can start to write a new script. And even here and now, in real time, you can start to transcend emotional eating. I love that. This is just so terrific and so helpful. So is there one takeaway that you want to to leave us with tonight? If somebody's listening and saying, you know what, gosh, um, I hope I can do this. What's the one takeaway you want to leave us with? Well, the first thing is, I would say is, you know, I I wouldn't do what I do if people couldn't change this. Um, So I I suppose I want to leave you with, you can do it. But I might throw a little curveball in here. Um, It's just like almost extra points for people who really want to go, go, you know, take overcoming emotional eating to, to the limit is that you can actually consider, and this is a strange thought for a lot of people, your emotional eating as a great gift. And what I mean by that is that if you're an emotional eater, like we've discussed, most of us are, and something isn't right in your life, you've got some unpleasant feelings you need to to work on, you've got some unmet wants or needs, then your body gives you this signal almost every time. So the signal comes wrapped in this urge to eat. But if you can recognize that signal for what it is and unwrap the gift, and the gift is an understanding that something needs to change in your life. You need to to have a conversation with someone or you need to, to think differently about something or you need to problem solve. Then you can actually use those emotional eating cues to eat as a cue to improve your life. So you may, and this may sound very weird for a lot of emotional eaters who are listening to this, that you may actually 
thank yourself for being an emotional eater because it gives you this signal to create the best life that you can possibly have. Oh, that's fabulous. You know, and here on the Beyond Bariatric Surgery podcast, we're all about success and we want to see each of you unwrap this gift that Glenn is talking about and find your way to work through your emotional eating and have fabulous success with your bariatric surgery. Now don't forget. Yeah. And thank you, Glenn, so much. I just think this is great. Will you come back again? I would love to come back. Thank you, Dr. Susan. I've had a great time. As you probably realize, I could talk about this stuff forever, but it's really wonderful to talk to you. And I, I really hope that you, your guys on the podcast get a lot out of it. Thank you. And don't forget, you can find out more about Glenn on our website, beyondbariatricsurgery.com. Just click on the podcast on our Facebook page at Facebook slash Beyond Bariatric Surgery. Beyond Bariatric Surgery is produced and owned by Practicalories, LLC. All rights reserved. Remember, the content provided on this podcast is for information purposes only and doesn't create a patient-provider relationship. It's intended to provide reference material and is not designed to provide medical advice. Please consult your healthcare provider regarding any medical issues you have relating to symptoms, conditions, diseases, diagnosis, treatments, and side effects. Podcast guests express their own opinions, experience, and conclusions, which do not necessarily reflect or agree with the host, Great Ideas in Nutrition, or Practicalories, LLC.